to Psalm 90, whoops, and stand as you find that. I'm going to read a few of the verses here. Psalm 90, beginning in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust. You say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes away, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. In verse 10, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and the fury according to the fear that is due thee? So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we do thank you, God, that you love us and that you entered this world as a baby to grow into the man And demonstrate through your life of dependence and obedience to the Father what a man was made to be. To die for our sins and rise again that we might be indwelt and that you might be the only explanation for all that takes place in us and through us. For your glory. We thank you for your faithfulness and for your mercies which are new every day. Thank you that your loving kindness never ceases. And we ask, God, that as we think on this year that has been completed and the new year that is ahead, that our eyes would be on the things above, fixed on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, happy new year to you. My daughter, and I only have one. She didn't say Happy New Year to me this morning. She said, Daddy, you turned 60 this year. (laughs) It may be good that God didn't give me three daughters like he did the (laughs) five ones. And it is true. Um, I, I am prepared to be depressed and morose for this entire year. Not really. Um, God is so good and so faithful. Um, this is not the passage where, where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be most of our time in the book of Galatians, and then next Sunday we'll go back to 1 Samuel. But um, last Sunday, um, Christmas Day, I spent quite a bit of the message just giving the gospel, uh, that Jesus came into this world to be the Savior for our sins. He is the only Savior, and we need no other Savior. 
This morning, I want to talk about the now what? Now that we're saved. If we've placed our faith in Christ alone for our salvation and we've been saved. How do we now live? This is a very significant passage of scripture in that we are told, reminded of the brevity of life. And that a long life is nothing before God. A thousand years is nothing before God. And typically, as this passage says, most people will only live 70 or 80 years. And um, I said a number of months ago in in a message, a friend of mine actually went to one of the websites and that has the national or the or the, the the national life expectancy for every nation of the earth. And he averaged it all up. So, you know, there's close to two hundred nations on the earth or something. And he averaged up the life expectancy for every nation on the face of the earth, and it's something like seventy point two years. As scripture says, most people are only going to live seventy years. And if due to strength, 80. And there are those few exceptions that live longer. Into their 90s, and even now many centurions. Those that live to be 100 years and more. But the average across the world is still only 70 years. And this psalm tells us, count your days. And ask God for a heart of wisdom. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Now, I believe that what's true of me is true of you. And when I read Proverbs about wisdom, I come to the conclusion, I am a fool. When you read all that wisdom is, I am always exposed for all that I am not. And I am reminded that my wisdom is not in me. That Jesus Christ is my wisdom. Christ is the very wisdom of God. And apart from Christ, I am a fool. And so are you. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. God has not called many wise and many noble. God has called the foolish things and the weak things in order to confound the wise and the strong. Most of us don't have much trouble, hopefully, recognizing our folly and our foolishness. Which brings me to Galatians. If the Lord wants us to number our days and to present to him a heart of wisdom, what is the greatest folly that we could go into as Christians. And it relates to how we live the Christian life. Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Obviously, these people were not presenting to the Lord a heart of wisdom. Paul has to wrap them across the knuckles and say, you are foolish foolish. So what was the essence of their folly? It really comes down to a statement Paul makes in Colossians. So hold your finger here in Galatians. We're going to get here. One more 
um, passage to look at, Colossians chapter 2, in verse 6. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Remember the message from last week if you were here. John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, but of God. God is the cause of our salvation. We are saved because God saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. By God's grace, through faith in Christ, we are saved. It is not, we are not born Christians. We are not made saved by what we do, and nobody else can confer salvation upon us. We become the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So as you, <clears throat> Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received him, how did you receive him? Simply by placing your faith in him and saying, Jesus, save me. And thank you that you have. How do you receive a gift? You say, thank you. How are we saved? By coming to the giver of all good things and saying, Jesus, thank you that you died for me and rose again from the dead so that I could be saved. And we place our faith in him to do what we cannot do for ourselves and we cannot save ourselves. So, having received Christ by faith, as you have received him, so walk in him. How do we live the Christian life? In the same way we got saved. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And the folly of the Galatians is that they are not living by faith in Jesus Christ. Instead, they're trying to help God out. They're trying to do what they're supposed to do in their own strength. They're trying to serve God. They're trying to please God. But if serving God and trying to please God couldn't save me, then how will it, is it going to work for living the Christian life? That's not how I entered the Christian life, by serving God and pleasing God. There are many people in this world who are seeking to serve God and please God, and they will go to hell because they have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They have not trusted in him to save them. They are working for him, trying to please him. I don't believe for a minute that every person in this world has a deep-seated hatred for God. They are all at enmity with God because they are born separated from him. But the scripture tells us there are people in this world who do not have a saving relationship with him, who yet nonetheless have a zeal for God. Paul said that was true for the, Israel, the, the, the Israelite people. I bear them witness. Though they do not know God, they have a zeal for God. But it's not enough. A zeal for God never saved anybody. 
Nicodemus had a zeal for God. Cornelius, a Gentile, he prayed. He gave tithes and offerings. He honored God. But he was lost. And he needed to place his faith in Jesus Christ. And he did. And he was saved. The Galatians are a people who's, it's like, now that I'm saved, I need to get with it. And they have embraced another gospel. Because the heart of the gospel is, you can't get with it. You can't save yourself. The heart of the gospel is, it is totally, 100% the activity of God. But that's not passivity, as we'll get to in a moment. It is saying, God, I acknowledge my helplessness, and I look to you to do what I cannot do. Save me. And we live the Christian life in the same way we were saved. I can't do this. Only you can. Thank you, God that you live in me to live this life that I cannot live apart from you. That's the way we are saved, and that's the way we live. Or to use the big term, that's the way we are sanctified. Look at verse 6, chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 6. I am amazed. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. When we move toward what we need to do, what we're supposed to do, we have moved away from grace to performance. We are trying to achieve and to acquire godliness. And we have forgotten that the mystery of godliness How do I become godly? The mystery of godliness is not what I do. It is Christ who is in me. This is what scripture says. The mystery of godliness is Christ is in us. The hope of glory of Christ, of God being glorified in us, is that God dwells in us as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when you depart and move so suddenly into trying to please God and do for God and acquire God, lay hold of God, you're departing from Him because you're departed from grace. Christ is our Savior, and Christ is the Sanctifier. He has become to us, 1 Corinthians 1, wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We cannot sanctify ourselves any more than we could save ourselves. Christ is the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification and the redemption, and only in Him. Chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, going back to our salvation, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Why is he reminding? Because this is the gospel. If this is the way we are saved, not by works of righteousness, but but, but through faith in Jesus Christ, then it is the same way we walk. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. 
But that's all speaking of past tense. Justification, salvation, being brought into that right standing with God. But now the present tense, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Lord, in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. For many Christians, and I'm one of them, this is one of the most favorite verses in all of Scripture. Paul is talking about the what now. Now that we've been saved, how do we live? By faith in the Son of God who delivered himself up for me. I, am, I live in the same way I was saved. How was I saved? Not by works of righteousness. No man shall be justified by his works. I was saved through faith in Jesus Christ. How then do I now live? I've been crucified with Christ. What can I do? I mean, what's a dead man can he do? Can a person who is dead in his sins and trespasses do anything to save himself? No. Can a person who has been crucified with Christ do anything to attain to godliness in and of himself? No. But Christ lives in us. I've been crucified with him. I'm not even alive. Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in this body, in this humanity, I live by faith in him who died for me. Too many Christians think that it's just a life of, this is how I'm saved, and now it's like I just almost forget that. And I move on and do the best I can do. And that is a dichotomy that is never supposed to take place. It's to be a a seamless tapestry between salvation, sanctification, sanctification, and entering the glory of God. It's one thing. It is a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Anything else is folly. You foolish Galatians. Look back at chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Could you have done anything, in other words, to get saved? No. What would you do? You heard, you believed. Why is it any different with your sanctification? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What does Hebrews say about Jesus? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. We will never perfect our own faith. It is true that the scripture says that God is going to finish the work that he's begun in each of us. It is true that one day we will see him in glory and we will be like him. What a great day that will be. And in the meantime, we get on with it and do the best we can. Or we just go, hey, if he's going to finish the work that he started, And one day we're all going to be transformed into his likeness and glory. And I can just basically sit on my hands and do whatever I want. Both are false gospels. It is not a gospel of now you do your best. 
And it is not a gospel of now you do whatever you want because it's covered by grace. And Paul speaks to both of these here. So working through a little bit more in chapter 3, he says in, in verse 11, no, I'm sorry, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith. So it's not us trying to do our best. Coming over again later in chapter 3, verse 22, but the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We're not under the law, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we are not oriented to law. We are oriented to Christ, the Savior. I want to skip chapter 4 for a second. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. To live by a law, the law of this is how much I'm supposed to read my Bible. This is how often I'm supposed to come to church in any given year. This is how often I'm supposed to share my faith. These are how many times a day I'm supposed to have a quiet time. Whatever it is. To live by performance In order to have the pleasure of God, to have the favor of God, is to live by law. And we have not been saved to live by law. We have been set free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. But having said that, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is the dangerous thing about preaching salvation by grace and sanctification by grace through faith in Christ. Because grace can be abused. And Paul's understanding that. So we have two ditches we can fall in. The one is the ditch of self-righteousness and performance. And the other is the ditch of a a grace that's not even a biblical grace, that you can do whatever you want and God just forgives you, and so don't even worry about it. You don't need to confess your sins. You don't need to do anything. and Just enjoy the forgiveness of God. And Paul calls it using your freedom and turning it into an opportunity For the flesh. And that is not why we've been saved. Remember we looked last week in 1 John. And John writes, we have been saved that we might be made alive. That we might love God and love one another. And that becomes the law of Christ unto us. And we are not free, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 9, I, I believe it is. We are not free, even though we are not under the law, to do whatever we want. But Paul will say, I am constrained by the law of Christ. And even in this very book, chapter 6, look, it says in, um, the, the law of Christ is spoken of. In verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul will say, I am not without law. 
I am not under the law of Moses. I'm not under the law of performance. I am not under the law of trying to achieve my own sanctification. But that doesn't mean I am without law. I am under the law of Christ. And it is only by the grace of God that the law of Christ can be fulfilled. I was emailing a a friend of mine who's a Bible teacher. And he was teaching a group of students. And they were just um, very upset with him. Small group within a larger group. They were teaching legalism. You're not teaching grace. Because he was telling them. That in Christ, it is not a life of just thinking the grace of God covers all your sins so that you can do whatever you want. But you are bound to Christ. Christ himself becomes the rule, the measure of life. You can't attain to Christ on your own any more than you could be saved on your own. But Christ himself is the rule and the standard of life. Legalism. Had the same experience myself. In class one time that I was teaching and an older student screaming at me, legalism for saying that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And he is wanting to reproduce in me a life that looks like him. That means a life of holiness, a life of righteousness. When God says, love your enemy, even as I've loved you, that is a law. When God says, stop lying to one another, stop stealing. And he says, clothe yourself with Christ. This is the law. It is not options. But it's nothing that is not the law of Moses. It is not the law of self-performance. It is the standard is Jesus. And we have been saved so that Jesus would be reproduced through our lives, manifest through our lives. So when the people see us, they go, man, there is no explanation for what I'm seeing. It has to be God. We have not been saved to be brought into a freedom that becomes a covering for our flesh and for sin. Now, this is hard to to lay out. I believe even for Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, it is hard to lay these things out and get your hands on them. Because it comes down to faith. Faith. Paul, in chapter 4, has this fascinating section here where he says, I'm going to explain to you an allegory, which rightly we are told when you go to Bible college and seminary, never allegorize scripture. Okay, right. We shouldn't because you can just go off on all kinds of rabbit trails and get yourself into all kinds of trouble. But Paul allegorizes scripture on a few occasions, and this is one of them. Chapter 4, verse 21, he uses Abraham's relationship with his wife, Sarah, and with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, as an allegory, one of law and the other of grace. This is a fascinating story here because it gets to the heart of the Christian life. And you remember the story here. God comes to Abraham one day and says, Say, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Abraham was 75 years old. Time passed. Ten years went by. No children. Well, Sarah had embraced that promise just as Abraham had. So Sarah came up with a brainstorm. And she goes, why don't you just go into Hagar? 
get her pregnant, and then we've got a son. Obviously, God's wanting us to participate. God saves those who help themselves, right? No. And so, see, this is an illustration of that, you see? And so, Abraham goes, okay, as long as it's all right with you. And so, Ishmael's born. And as soon as Ishmael is born, Sarah turns on Hagar and despises her, the scripture says. And Ishmael and Hagar become an illustration of the flesh and of the law. Why, what is this flesh and law? How do they relate? See, the flesh is all about performance. And so that is a law. See, because I'm, I'm, I'm living for a standard. And the standard is something other than Jesus Christ. And I'm trying to attain that standard in my own strength. So Paul will say in the book of Romans, even people who do not have the law of Moses... When they instinctively do the things of the law, they've never heard of the law of Moses, they've never seen the Ten Commandments, but they instinctively do the things that the Ten Commandments say. What does Paul say? They have become a law unto themselves. So he's telling us every person is a legalist at heart. See, the legalist is even a person who's never even heard of the law. Because if you are trying your best to be a better person, and this is the futility of New Year's resolutions, by the way. It is Galatians, you are foolish because we are trying in our own strength to do what only God can do. And it is folly. And it is a picture of Hagar and Ishmael. It is not the way God intends for life to be lived, trying to do our best to help him. It never works. God will not share his glory with any man. And so any good that could come is the good that can only be produced by the flesh. And God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do with everything you ever bring to me that's good. Remember when they made their sacrifices? They were to bring the best that they had. Their best sheep. Their best bull. And God says, thank you for your best. Now kill it. That's a statement on the flesh. Our best for God is unappreciated by God. He says, slaughter it. You can do nothing for me. It is what I have to do. And we know those sacrifices all ultimately pointed to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was also a reminder to those people making the sacrifices, there was nothing they could do in themselves. So, Ishmael, law. Ishmael, flesh. Hagar, part of the problem. So another period of time passes. Another 15 years. Now Abraham's 100. And God says, I'm still going to give you a son. (laughs) And Abraham's going, well, it's going to have to be you this time. And Romans tells us that. Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham looked at his own body, now as good as dead. And he looked at Sarah and said, it's not happening there either. And God says, and now I can give you that son. But here's the thing. This is why it's not passivity. The same thing happened again. This is what I mean. Abraham did the same thing with Sarah he did with Hagar. He was sexually intimate with both women. 
right? But with one of them, it's flesh. And with the other one, it's faith. And that is the only difference. It is not a life of passivity. It is a life of dependency. That's the difference. With Hagar, he was acting in his own strength, independent of God. But he did the same thing he ended up doing years later with his wife. Only now with his wife, he's sold. It's miraculous. It has to be the activity of God. But, none of, but don't miss the point. The activity itself on a human level looked exactly the same. But one is an action of faith and the other is an action of flesh. And only God and you and I know the difference. I may be standing here this morning preaching in the flesh. Don't think I am. But that's between ultimately between me and God. And it's amazing the capacity that people have to deceive even when it comes to the things of the Spirit. And there are people, we all know the stories, who are living ungodly lives and preaching in such a way that many people are coming to faith in Christ. It's the grace of God. But it's very, my point is, it's very hard for any other person to look on and necessarily see whether this is of faith or of flesh. But it's not impossible. It depends on what you're looking for. And that gets us to Galatians 5. How can we tell? Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, rather than the flesh, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. So no matter how good a person's preaching, no matter how many people are coming to faith in Christ, if there is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not evidences of God's spirit. We need to put our finger on it. This is true in my life, it's true in your life, and in everyone's life. When we're seeing these things, don't, be, don't deceive yourself. And say, oh, I'm doing okay with God, I'm walking in the spirit. This is not the fruit of the spirit. This is the fruit of flesh. This is the fruit of Charlie McCall, and you can put your name in there. When you see these things, it's not Jesus. It's you and me. It's not the Spirit. And God wants to live in our lives in such a way that, when, that what is seen can only be attributed to God's supernatural activity. And that happens the same way we were saved. By faith in Jesus Christ. So the fruit of the flesh, I'm sorry, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit. And again, 
you've heard me say before, and I want to just preface with these remarks again. Don't go looking for fruit in your own life. Because you'll, you're not going to necessarily see it. And, you'll, and, and the scripture doesn't tell us, go looking for fruit in your life. The, the scripture says, John 15, abide in Christ. And Christ will produce the fruit. No Christian produces fruit. Christ produces fruit. The only thing the Christian is expected to do is abide in Christ. And he will bear fruit. He will never produce it. Jesus produces it. Abide in Christ. There, this is not a, a checklist of things to work on. It's nine of them, by the way. Love, okay, let's just start with that. Anybody going to achieve that before they move over to the next one? Love, joy, okay, now I've checked off love. Let's go to joy. You can't even think on all nine of these things at the same time. I can't. This is something that God has to do. And that's the point. It is a supernatural life. Just as I could not save myself, I cannot manifest these things. It is impossible. God must do it. And when I realize they're not in me, when I read, when I read the fruit of the flesh and go, God, the outburst of anger, the disputes, the dissensions, Charlie, I know this is true of me, God. When I read Proverbs and say, fool, I know this is true of me, God. When I read you foolish Galatians, that you have so easily departed the one who has saved you. God, this is true of me. What do I do? The same thing I did to get saved. Jesus, save me! Right? And that's the way the Christian life is lived. God, I want these things to be evident in my life. But let's have some, some ounce of humility and, and, and honesty here. I see more of the fruit of the flesh sometimes than I do of the fruit of the Spirit. And God says, uh-huh. What should I do, oh God? What did you do to get saved? Colossians 2.6, As you therefore have received him, so walk in him. God, all I did was just say thank you. Uh-huh. What am I supposed to do now? He hits me on the side of the head again. What did you just say? Thank you. Okay. Do the same thing. Thank you. I'm not all, I'm not, but see, it's not a life of passivity. Because even in saying thank you, as Abraham did with God's promise concerning a son, thank you. And God says, now you need to have some intimate time with your wife. Independence upon me. So we say, thank you, God. I can't do this. And God says, right. You've got to do it. Right, God says. God, is there anything you want me to do? I just want you to say thank you. And in dependency upon me, it'd be good if we spent some time together. Some intimate time. Why don't you open up your Bible? Start reading it a little bit. For no other reason than just to get to know me. Let me speak to you. It'd be good for you to spend some time talking. When was the last time we just had some time together? No, no prayer list, just you and me. Just spending some hangout time together. Talking. When you just listen to me. Scripture says, don't approach God with a lot of words. The idea there is come to listen. If you want to put anything in your calendar this year, yeah, you know, before you put in, you know, new gym membership and work out three times a week, 
You know, it'd be good if we just put on our calendar, spend time with God. This, this morning, or maybe, well, I don't know how much time, you, you, you know, we all have more time than we admit. We all are busy people, but a lot of it can be carved away. And there are times when we can just say, you know, because God's saying to us, we know he is, come alone. Be with me. And put it on the calendar if we have to. This is time I need to have just with me and Jesus. And I'm not going to go into this with a long list. God will prompt me if I need to be praying. And there are always things we need to be interceding about. But just to spend that time with him. Just take our Bibles. Listen to him. God, speak to me. Minister to me. And see, this is not a mechanical Christianity. It is a relationship of faith in him who saved me. I'm not doing these things in order to become like him. But rather because he's prompting my heart toward intimacy with him. It's not about performing. It's just about being with the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Someone told me recently with tears in their eyes, I have to say that I do not see the fruit of the Spirit in this person, one that they love dearly and do not question their salvation. See, there are those today that say, if you do not see the fruit of the Spirit in a person, they aren't saved to begin with. I don't know how you can read Galatians and come to that conclusion. You can be saved and be living according to the flesh. And you are not going to see the fruit of the Spirit. You are going to see the fruit of the flesh. It's just that simple. And it doesn't need to be that way. I heard that guy ask me, say that to me, and quite honestly, it, and I haven't done this because I've been afraid to, but it, my first thought was, I wonder what people are seeing in me. I need to go ask my wife. Because again, I have an amazing capacity, as you do, to play the fool. And to tell myself something that isn't true about myself. I'm a pretty good boy. And God says, you are unrighteous apart from me. Christ is your only righteousness. And it is a life lived in dependency upon Christ. In the same way that we are saved is the way that we walk, is the way that we are sanctified. And if we live in that conscious dependence upon him, depending upon him as we obey him, he will manifest the sweet fruit of his spirit within us and through us. These things are not complicated. They're very simple. Truly are. But there is a mystery here. We're talking about God things, supernatural things. So we're never fully going to be able to get our hands on it, but part of the problem is we try to make it mechanical. We try to put steps in outlines, and God keeps bringing us back to the simplicity of faith in Jesus alone. 
And that doesn't look exactly the same from person to person. But the outcome is going to be the same. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Because it is God who is at work in us. Even as it was God who saved us. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'll close us in prayer.